Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to catch live editions of the Ben Maller Show weekdays at 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Kaboom! If you thought four hours a day, 1,200 minutes a week was enough, think again. He's the last remnants of the old republic, a sole bastion of fairness. He treats crackheads in the ghetto gutter the same as the rich pill poppers in the penthouse. Wow. The clearinghouse of hot takes break free for something special. The Fifth Hour with Ben Maller starts right now. That it does. We are in the air everywhere as we bloviate here on the fifth hour, as you know, and then four hours, not enough on the overnight. We do this now eight days a week. This is our Friday podcast, and it's a conversation podcast, so we'll get right to it. We will not dilly-dally, and before we welcome in who we're talking to, we, we say hello to 
David Gascon, who's back again another weekend with Gascon. This is a, an amazing accomplishment. After I thought we were going to get rid of you after that terrible job producing uh, a couple weeks ago, but you're back again. Which is great because I heard you had a trickle-down effect with the new producers that were filling in for me. <laughs> so it, was, uh, it was great. And uh, now I'm back again. It's because uh, you and our, our guest here in a few moments uh, have have accused me of being technically incompetent, so I'm going to try my best to railroad another podcast since you yeah. and you alone are on the marquee, Ben Matt. Well, I don't want to say you're technically incompetent. I will just say that you were hired by the company to produce, quasi-produce the show, eh. and you then proceeded to not know how to screen phone calls for four hours in the overnight, and when the one time you did put calls on the air, it was a cluster F. Well, so I, that's all I'm saying. Other than that, I, I mean, just, I'm going by what I experience guest well we're in the day and age of disinformation so i will correct you because i didn't know how to not answer the phones correctly i just elected not to answer the phones for three and a half hours I, that's yes a, a nice difference. well uh, that's not what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that you looked at the phone system and said, what is this, the space shuttle? <laughs> and uh, you couldn't figure it out, and so uh, that was it. But a- enough about you. Yes. This is a very important person. And we like hanging out with people and talking to them, and mostly the people that I've experienced on the podcast that I like the most are like radio guys. Yep. I love radio guys. I love hearing radio stories. I love people that work in this business and do a great job. And we get to talk to one of our colleagues here. You already know this if you download the podcast. The man affectionately known as Furball, a Cincinnati radio legend, an icon. And he's been at Fox Sports Radio for many years now. You hear him on the weekends with Brian No on Sunday mornings. And we give it up now to Andy Furman, who is on here the fifth hour. You know, I learned something, Ben, today. I learned that his name is not David Gagon. It's David Gascon. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was David Gagon. Really. I didn't know that, but that's fine. Thank you for having me. You know, I'm going to have more people hear me on this podcast than they do on Sunday morning at the wee hours of 3 a.m. Pacific time. No, no. Listen, (laughs) Andy, I used to do a shift around that time. You know how many people are stumbling drunk walking around that are listening to the radio? There's a huge audience there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a massive audience. But I appreciate you having me on. I really do, because it gives me something to do. I look forward to this all day long. I even showered. And during this pandemic, I don't do that often. You know, Andy, we're not in the same room here, Andy. We're, uh, you know, I know. I understand. Miles. I understand that. But, but I understand now through various Internet reports that you can catch COVID-19 over the phone. That's what I've been reading on the Internet. <laughs> not that I'm saying I believe it, but that's what's on the Internet lately. You can find anything you want on the Internet uh, or certain news channels. They'll tell you whatever whatever you want there. So Now, I, I first met you, Andy. You, you came out. You and Mike North were doing the morning show at Fox for for several years there, and uh, I loved that show. You guys had a great vibe. I loved it, too. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It was great. You know, you guys were going back and forth. North would say something ridiculous. You'd, uh, you'd throw it back in his face, and it was wonderful. It was wonderful. You know, it was very difficult to argue with him when he's bullheaded. I love him to death. I love him like a brother. But I'll never forget the one argument we had. There was one person, I forgot who it was, but there were many people in sports that get DUIs or whatever it may be. And I told him that alcoholism is a disease. And he argued with me from top to bottom that alcoholism is not. I said, Michael, you could look it up in any journal, the, the medical journals. It's a disease. Alcoholism is a disease. And he told me that he used to drink and drink and drink and drink, and he could stop it. 
anytime he wanted to. So I said, well, you didn't have the disease. You were just a drinker. But I mean, oh, I mean, I was wind. I was schwitz after that show. I'd have to shower. Really, it would get me into such a froth. I would sweat. But it was wonderful because it was human. It was real. It wasn't scripted. It was from the heart. And he went one way. I went the other. And that was the way it was. Yeah, you know, I want to talk about you though, Andy, because I, oh. I've I've heard stories. Everyone's got an Andy Furman story that uh, you know he did this, he did that. I got to get some answers. I I know you you're from obviously you sound you don't hide the fact that you're from New York, right? So I can't but, help it. Yeah, it's hard to disguise that. And right. so you you worked at a uh, religious college at one point as a as in the uh, was it the PR department? Is that right? You worked. Well, I uh, worked at several. I worked at St. Francis College of Brooklyn, a Division One school. And I shared an office with uh, Brother Ronald. He was the best. On Friday yeah. afternoons, he'd open up the bar, and away we went. So that was a good time at St. Francis. And after that, I went to All Roberts University, and I was the first Hebrew to ever work at that school. And wait, I, wait, wait, I didn't wait, know they, that at the time. So. You, you wait, wait. You, you worked at. Oral Roberts University oh, as a well, Jewish guy? For two years at Oral Roberts University. Uh, the, the great Oral, I mean, I met him several times, and I didn't know. And when I got there, they told me a couple of things I didn't know during the interview process when they flew me out. But on Tuesdays and Fridays, between the hours of 11 and noon, central time that was, the school shut down completely. Electricity shut down. The electric typewriter was off. Everything was off, shut down. You had to go to chapel services. And I went the first time, and I said, what in the heck is speaking in tongues? I had no idea what speaking in tongues was. But I went, and, I, and after a couple of times, Oral called me to his office and said, if you don't feel comfortable going to these things, you don't have to go, which was great on his part. He, he, he was good. May he rest in peace. He was always good to me. He really was. Oh, that's cool. Ask when yeah. you took the job though. What did your family say when they say when you said I'm going to Oral Roberts? Isn't that an, is that in Oklahoma? Where it was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I think my yeah. family basically was more concerned with me going to the state of Oklahoma than Oral Roberts University because you know really we didn't know much about Oral Roberts. I didn't know. I mean, I knew they were a great basketball school. They had Anthony Roberts who scored something like 70 points once in an NIT game, so they were a basketball power. And when I got there, they were sort of like on the tail end. They still were not in a conference, so that was good. Now they're in some sort of a cockamamie conference. I mean, you really don't hear much about Oral Roberts anymore now, but they were really good. And really, we hosted the Midwest Regionals in basketball because at the time, the Maybe Center, which hosted about 10-5 attendants, was one of the bigger arenas in the Midwest. Now, it pales in comparison to some of the arenas where they play now. Wow. There's another another Andy Furman story that I heard that I want to verify, that you gave the Associated Press at one point a score that wasn't an actual score that they actually reported in the newspaper. Is this correct that, here? That's, that's been many times, not just once, really. Oh, not just once. So how oh, does this really, – now this is back in the really. days where you had to, like, call in the scores? Is that Well, when I lived in Oklahoma, here's the thing. On Friday night was – high school football was huge. I mean, I never lived in a place that had such – big high school football. Even now, I live in northern Kentucky, Cincinnati, Ohio's real big high school football. But living in New York City, high school football is like secondary. No one follows it. No one cares. There's once in a while a player comes out that's not bad. John Brockington went to Ohio State. They've had players from time to time out of New York City, but very few. So I got to Oklahoma, and on Friday nights, it was like a religion, this high school football. And uh, I'd go and watch some of these games. And at the time, uh, they just call in the scores. Now, I'm sure when they call in scores, they're verified, they're on computer, you know, there's no way you could pull in a a fast one. We would go to parties on Friday night in Tulsa, get a little liquored up, 
call the TV stations, and we'd see on the running scores on the bottom of the screen these schools that we just made up. We made, you know, uh, you know uh, North Holden beat uh, South Tulsa 75 to 12, you know, something like that. And we see them on the bottom of the screen, and we all give a high five to one another. You know, and the next morning we just, you know, forgot all about it because the buzz wore off. You were the original fake news, Andy. You were the original oh, yeah, fake yeah, news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you were ahead of your time, Andy. Well, yeah, you know, I'm a trendsetter, a trendsetter. Exactly. All right. So uh, now, uh, this, I was waiting for Gascon to chime in there, but he's uh, he's so aghast by this, he's so taken aback by this. Now, yeah, right? No, he's sitting I- on resumes. He's looking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, can you hire him? He, he can clean your lawn or whatever. You know, if you got oh, some yeah, uh, rubbish. He's a pool boy, really. Well, uh, he would be a great pool boy. I think he's done that before. Yeah, I think I that's the, how he got some of his other jobs. Well, you know. That's how I got some yeah. of my girlfriends, too. You know, it's uh, it's easy to do when you're west of the 405. Anyways. You know, it's funny because the two things you threw in my face are probably the, the two least interesting things that no, I've ever I know. done. I, a, a, you know, a, a, really. Andy, Andy. But that's okay. Because okay. some of them got me in trouble and some of them got me fired. No, but that's a, all right. A, you no, know, no, really. A, a, Andy, I'm, it's, it's a slow buildup to a crescendo. You can't start right away with the good stuff. You gotta. This is not bad stuff. You're building up. You know, Andy, you're building okay. up to an amazing crescendo. Okay, right? take it easy on me because yeah. I don't want this to cost me my job. <laughs> that that Sunday morning gig. Come on. Yeah, I want to good. keep it for a while. I understand. Speaking of building up, Furball, how did you how did you actually get into sports talk radio anyway? Like, what was the what was the origin and the genesis of all this? You know, that that is a pretty good question. That's why you're a pretty good journalist, Gascon, really. You ought to put oh this question God. on your resume. Put this oh on the tape, God. really. Because it was pretty good. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you wrote it out prior to, but it's pretty good. You know, it's funny. I, I got a job. It's, I was a sales guy at the local TVs. I was a sports director at Channel 5, the NBC affiliate in Cincinnati. And the general manager, when he hired me, said, if you don't like it, after about six months, come to my office and we'll figure something out. Well, I did it for six months. Didn't know anything about TV, and I went to his office and said, this is crazy. Being a sports director, a local affiliate, it's like an animal eating its young. You work six, seven, eight hours a day for two and a half minutes. It's crazy. And the next day it starts all over again. I said, I don't want to do this anymore. He says, what do you want to do? I said, I think I'm a good salesman. I could sell. So at the time, the local NBC affiliate in Cincinnati carried the Cincinnati Reds games over the year. And uh, and I sold Reds baseball. Well, how do you sell Reds baseball? You get a telephone book, and you look in the telephone book and start calling clients. But what I did, instead of starting from A to Z, I started from Z because I think everybody starts from A when they got a phone book. So I started from Z. So I started writing letters and calling people. Procter and Gamble is based in Cincinnati. I sent a note to the brand manager of a product called Top Job. Top Job is a female-oriented product that cleans ovens and stoves. You know, and we had the weekly sales meeting, and I told them, you know, well, what do you got going? I said, oh, Top Job. They looked at me and they laughed at me. That'll never happen. It's female. Baseball's male. Never happens. So, all right, fine. Well, about a week later, the brand manager calls me up, got a her office, a young girl with a picture of Paul O'Neill on her desk. I figured I'm in. She says, so, I love it. We'll have the top job of the game on the game. No big deal. It's great. How much does it cost to sponsor this deal? I couldn't get it out of my mouth. It was $160,000 for the deal. She said, yes. I went crazy. I hugged her, came back to the station. And a couple of days later, the general manager of WLW Radio calls me up. And I said to my wife, I said, I'm going to get a job at WLW Radio. She said, how do you know? She said, why would the general manager want to take me out to lunch? 
We went out for lunch. Before the uh, the, ma- the Major D came, the waiter came, I said to the guy, and may you rest in peace, J. David Martin is his name. I said, Mr. Martin, I said, the answer is yes, I want to work for you. And he almost choked. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, why are you taking me out to lunch? General manager takes a guy out to lunch. He's going to fire him or hire him. I don't work for you yet. So he hired me. It was a great situation. I sold Reds baseball on the radio, which is a lot easier than TV. Did some promotions for the radio station. And it was a great station. It still is. 700 AM. Tremendous station. iHeart Media Station as well. And he put he created a show on Sunday morning called Sunday Morning Sports Talk, which morphed into Sports Talk during the week, which I co-hosted for a while with the great Chris Collinsworth. That's pretty yeah. damn wild. Well, and the, the famous story w- with you is the the race. You, you were at the track, right, in Cincinnati. You were the right, promoter. Right, that's why I ended up here. I worked for a yeah. company based out of Buffalo called Delaware North, and they owned a lot of racing facilities, and they'd ship me from city to city, and I was like a vagabond. They went all over the place, but I used the same promotions in every city, and it always worked. Uh, I was in upstate New York, and I had uh, Beasley Reese at a New York football Giants race, a, a trotter at Monticello Raceway. When I came to Latonia Race Course in Florence, Kentucky, I had Chris Collins worth race a horse and it was great people loved it it was a big deal and made the press and you know stuff like that people like that fun so how did you uh how did you convince collinsworth to race a horse like well what's the pitch on that like you shame him into it you know you you start sending (laughs) material out to the media and you challenge him you back him against the wall that he can't say no and he knew yeah. that. So that's, well, remember, that's they, we remember a couple years ago, somebody, I don't think you were part of that. Somebody Chad, else. Chad Johnson. Yeah. Had him he, too do it. Yo, you, you, were, you were part of that? Were you? Were yeah, you were, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize you know, that. It works every time. You know, after a while, it gets old. But you know what? The kids love it. Chad Johnson was great because he actually beat the horse. Although he had a head start, but he beat the horse. But he hung around and he had people signing autographs. He, he's just, he's wonderful. Chad's yeah. the best. He really Now is. you could. Chris was good, but Chad was the best. Now you could conceivably like, drug the horse so the horse doesn't run you know, you know make the horse feel bloated so the horse can't well, I run think that we drug chad johnson that's who he did <laughs> <laughs> no, he was great he really was so, and, uh, so it, it's fun you know you know people ask me what, what do i do are you a pr guy a promoter you know ben you would know this i'm what is called a tumbler a tumbler is a guy in yiddish that just creates a lot of mess a lot, a lot of a lot of action you know that i'm a i tumbler. Yeah. i'm a tumbler you're a, you're a Meshuggah as well. Well, you know you what? Are, the late Marty right. Glickman called me that. Marty Glickman, that, I used to love yeah. Marty Glickman. He called the New York Football Giant games on WNEW Radio in New York City, 11.30 a.m. And I met Marty Glickman through a mutual friend, and you know he was calling the Jet games toward the end of his career. And I met him a couple of times through an, a, a, a third party, and he said to me, you're the Meshuggah, right? Because in New York City, when I was working at St. Francis College and doing stuff and sending stuff out to the media, you know, it, it got around that I was a little unorthodox, so to speak. Fun, but unorthodox. So he called me, may he rest in peace, too, was Marty Glickman was great. Uh, he called me the Meshuggah. That's right. Well, yeah, and and you got if you're a promoter though, you you've got to be part of every cockamamie idea that you could possibly uh, come up. Did you? I, I somebody said that you worked for the Dolphins at one point, the Miami Dolphins. I heard well, that. I, I was that true? What I did was I worked for the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. I was the PR guy for them, and they were owned by the late Joe and Liz Robbie. Liz owned the Strikers, and Joe owned the Dolphins. So when the Strikers weren't playing, I helped out with the Dolphins. But basically, my, my my main thing was with the strikers, and they were great because we had Georgie Best. George Best was the greatest, and every time we landed in a city, there were 7,000 women at the airport waiting for him. I'm sure you didn't mind that, Andy. You were... No, not at all. George was great. I mean, it was just, you know, it was just it was electric. It really was with him in every city yeah. we went to. 
So what are some of the other Zany promotions? You had a couple NFL guys race horses. What are some of the other crazy stuff that we don't know about that you did back Well, you know, this was a bad one, but, I, you know, since I love you guys, I'm going to be honest and open. And it happened way back in 1980, believe it or not, back when I worked at Monticello Raceway. You know, my job was to get people in the racetrack. Before I worked at a racetrack, I couldn't tell you the front end of a horse from the back end of a horse, really. But <laughs> I, I went to Monticello, and the guy says, look, you don't have to know a thing about racing. Just get people in here. Get them in here. All right, so during the summer, we started getting some crowds because I was going around to various service clubs, you know, alliance clubs, whatever, rotary clubs, asking them to come to the racetrack, and they did. So during the summer, you know, Monticello was right near the Pennsylvania border. And in Pennsylvania, they don't have what they call in New York off-track wagering. In New York City, in New York State, and New York City, you don't have to go to the racetrack to place a bed. You go to a little parlor, which is off-track, and you place a bed, which hurts the attendance at the racetrack. But in the state of Pennsylvania... There was no off-track wagering. So we did a lot of promoting in Pennsylvania. All right, so I would subscribe to the Pennsylvania papers, the Scranton Times, Scranton Tribune, and there was a series about the Ku Klux Klan in the Scranton papers. And I'm saying, why would this be there every day on the front page? And to this day, I remember the guy was like the the ringleader, the... uh, the, the, the master guy, I guess, uh, in Pennsylvania, his name was uh, Mr. Lentz. Albert Lentz was the guy. I wrote him a letter, and I said, please come to the racetrack, the Monticello Raceway. Leave your sheets at home. We'll have a night at the races, and, you know, you'll have dining or whatever it might be. You could put on the races and come to the Monticello Raceway for a night at the races, KKK night. I sent it out. <laughs> I, I, made, I made copies to, like, every media person around New York City, New York State, Pennsylvania, and in racing, you have to be licensed. You get a license from the New York State Racing and Wagering Board. When they got wind of this letter with the KKK, they revoked my license and I lost my job. But it was, it was it made like every newspaper in the country. I mean, and I lost the job, but after I lost the job, I was getting phone calls from like circuses to be a PR guy, modeling baseball. It, it was crazy. I mean, just unbelievable what I was getting, but I never really, I'm not an advocate of the KKK, believe me. And in Monticello, you have to understand it's a 3,000 population hamlet in upstate New York and maybe like 2,500 Jews and 500 African Americans. So it wasn't the greatest place in the world to invite the KKK anyway. <laughs> and, and you know what? I, to this day, I don't even know why I was fired. Was I fired because I invited them or was I fired because they didn't show? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you imagine if you did something like that now? Oh, my God. Oh, Tell man. That would I'm, be, I'm afraid geez. to talk about it now. Were you kidding me? Be canceled. I know. You know. There's another one when I did you know, when I when I lost that job, I got a phone call. This is how I ended up with Delaware North Companies in Buffalo. They flew me out to Buffalo, and uh, they said, are you the guy that, that invited the KKK to Monticello? I said, yes, I was. He said, well, we, we wouldn't have fired you. We would have killed you. And I looked, uh, you know, I looked at the background of this company. I mean, it was the old Emprise situation, and you could you know, put two and two together and figure what that was all about. So they hired me, and my first job was at Buffalo Raceway in Buffalo, New York, in Hamburg, New York. And uh, I said, you know, maybe what I need to do is have, like, ethnic nights. All right, so not bad. So I said, we're going to have what I call a Polish night. What is Polish night? Well, we're going to serve Polish sausages. We're going to have the, the, uh, the drivers of the harness horses go around the track the wrong way. I wanted to go around the track the wrong way for Polish night. And how do you promote the game? How do you promote Polish night? Well, every track has like a marquee on the highway. So on the marquee, it usually says post time tonight, 7 p.m., but a bing, but a bang. I went to the track's maintenance guy, and I said, do me a favor, where it says – Post time tonight, 7 p.m., right? Polish night tonight. And when you spell Polish, put the P on there backwards. 
Just put it back. What do you mean? Just, just do me a favor. So he did that on the highway. I ran back to the office, and I called the Buffalo Evening News, and I said, some schmuck spelled Polish wrong on the marquee. Sure enough, <laughs> it's the front page of the Buffalo Evening News. That's how you get the promotion. And, uh, went around the track the wrong way. We gave out salamis to the winning drivers. It was great. Again, I don't think you could do that today. I really don't. No, I don't no, think people no. have a sense of humor. You know, and, and maybe for me, even talking about it now, this may come back and haunt me. What do you think? Do you think? No, no, no. Andy, I love it, man. I wish you know. Listen, you you had so many great experiences. Who was your Who was your influence, though? You sound like Bill Veck. The, uh, well, the I, old... I met him several times when I lived in yeah. Fort Lauderdale. The White Sox would train right now, right near there, and I met him several times. And you know, it's funny thing with him. Not only did I write him, I got several letters from him still in my folder in my file, whatever you may want to call my scrapbook. But yeah. anytime you ever called him. And I don't know how many people would want to call Bill Veck, but I did. He picked the phone up. He had no secretary. You know, he just called the White Sox office and said, I want to talk to Mr. Veck. Hold, hold on. Hello. Bill Veck here. And he, called, and he answered the phone. It was unbelievable. But I guess one of my bigger influences was the late Alan Jerome Finkelson. Alan Finkelson was the PR man of Pompano Park in, in Pompano, Florida. And uh, he was like my, my godfather, my, my teacher. And he really was. And uh, I, always, I always admired those guys, like the Bill Vecks of the world, the Irving Rudds of the world. You, know, you could look him up, too. He was a PR guy of the Brooklyn Dodgers way back in the 50s. But you know, I read about these guys. These are the guys I read about. You know, my, my contemporaries, my friends would read novels about Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle, and I'm reading about Irving Rudd and, uh, and, and Bill Vecks. That's what I did. <laughs> well, who were who the, uh, you know, who are the guys? Now, there's nobody really doing what you did and what you've done, right? You're afraid. You can't do it now. Yeah. People are too sensitive. You, you just can't. I'd love to do stuff like that now. You just can't do it. You either go to jail or get shot. <laughs> Furball, but like all of this, or at least your, like some of your best stories. In fact, you told me something like this, I think, last year. But like, what inspired you to write letters to people? Because I, I know you've told me you, you've written to several head coaches in the National Football well, League. Well, you know what? Though, honestly, still I, I think what started with the letter writing was basically when I was like working for a newspaper in Brooklyn. The Brooklyn Eagle, which I still write once in a while an article, the Brooklyn Daily Eagle. If you go on their website, you'll see some of the articles I've recently written, too. But uh, honestly, what I do is uh, I, I get the clippings that I write my columns and send them out to coaches. That's how I got the job at Oral Roberts. Because, you know, I had a column called Scholastic Roundup. It was like a little roundup column, like little one-liners. It would be like Ben Maller of X High School is now playing freshman basketball at San Jose State. So I get the paper, I rip it out, mail it to the coach of San Jose State. And that's what I did, mail and to the sports information guys. And I get on all these mailing lists. So they had a player at Oral Roberts by the name of Arthur Stretch Graham from Brooklyn. And every time you know, he did something, I put a little note in my column and mail it out to the athletic director, the sports information guy. And I guess this guy thought it was like, you know, like the New York Times getting something from the New York Times from me. And they, want, they wanted to expand their, their influence, you know, PR-wise. And he thought that I had contacts in the New York media, which I did because I lived there. And, uh, and he hired me. And that's, that's, what, that's the way it was. Did you get any kind of negative pushback from someone that you wrote a letter to? I get negative pushback from my wife because she says, well, writing letters shows how old you are and, and it makes you look old. And I said, no, you won't. Because I'm really adapt on, on the computer. I could do my emails. I could do my attachments and my links and all that crap. I could do that. But the point is this. Everybody does it. But no one sends out letters. So that's why I'm different. 
you, know, you get a stack of mail every day at home. What is it usually? Junk mail or bills. Yeah. And then you see something like this, a letter from me. You're curious. You've got to open it up. And a lot of times you send out an email, it gets in the trash bin. It really does. That's so, true. That's why yeah. I, and, and, you know, I have made a habit. Every time I had a guest on radio, I'd always send them a thank you note. That's what I did. Matter of fact, when I lived in Brooklyn, when I lived in New York City, I, I'd always send little notes to, to Digger Phelps, who I still talk to today. He lives not far from me in South Bend, Indiana. And Digger's wonderful. I mean, he, he was coaching Fordham, and I got to know him, and uh, he had a couple of Brooklyn players. I'd send him, and he was one of the few coaches that you'd send him a note. Kenny Charles played for him for, for Fordham, and Kenny Charles was a Brooklyn kid. I'd write about him, and uh, Digger was clipping, and two days later, he'd send me a thank you note. Bobby Knight, the same way. When I came to Cincinnati on WLW Radio, Bobby Knight did a half hour show with me. He really did. And, uh, you know, Bobby Knight, to me, didn't do many of those shows, if any, except his own coach's show, but he had ground rules for me. He said, look, we'll do a half hour, no commercials, no phone calls. Boom. That was it. And then it was great. It really was. That's okay, awesome. I'll give you an example. About a year or so ago, during Christmas week, I had Bill Belichick on Fox. I was filling in during the week on a Wednesday night show. And Bill Belichick said, he's going, why? Because I sent him letters all the time. I sent him notes. I, I, I made a relationship with Coach Belichick. That's awesome. So uh, do, you, do you talk to Belichick or do you, you exchange letters? Do you ever talk to him on the phone? No, I, I've interview? talked to him on, yeah. on the radio. I had him on phone. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, let's well, I had a, and, 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 not, his, his mom just died about a week or so ago. And I sent him a text because I got his cell. And the other day, he texted me back. He thanked me so much, you know, for my for my little text for about so his. Belichick for, sends for his te- he sends text messages. Who knew? I, I thought he he was a technophobe. I thought he that's his whole little shtick, right? Uh, maybe like someone to, did it for him. I don't know, but maybe but he sent, got a sent text a text. How many letters do you think you've sent out over the years, Andy? Oh God, oh man! You know what? If I had if I had like a dime for every letter I sent back, I wouldn't have to work anymore. Well, you would have a dime if you didn't send the letters, though. You would have. <laughs> well, now it's fifty-five cents a letter. You, could, you know, here's the thing: uh, most of the time, I say ninety percent of the time, when I write letters, I'm mailing them out from business. It didn't cost me anything. I don't have an office anymore. That's the problem. <laughs> so now I'm paying for the stamps. That's that's a major problem. It really is. It, I want you to what know. What I should do. This yeah. is what I should do. I should collect all my mail once a week in a box, send it out to Fox and Sherman Oaks, and let them run it through the meter machine for me. So it'll be one one big postage bill, but I could send out 500 letters in the box. I yeah. I remember my one of my first days working on on Ben's show that carried over into you guys, and Jonas was producing at that time for you guys, He's and. Great. There was just stacks of of letters that Jonas had, and Eddie at the time was filling in for. Eddie had it in his mailbox, and I, I couldn't believe it. I said, "What the fuck is all this mail doing here?" And Jonas, no, wait a minute, we don't need that kind of a language here on this kind of a family related <laughs> podcast. Yes. So just back off a little bit. Oh my bad, I'm not used to those tones. My bad, I'm really my, not. My bad. You're, 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 is it? Guess what? He's from he's from Brooklyn. They don't talk like that from Brooklyn. Of Come course on, not. A little bit different not, of a really. dialogue there. Yes, yes. So anyway, but, but I, you know, you're right. Eddie Garcia used to get offended. He got upset when I sent him stuff. <laughs> Every time I saw a hockey story that I thought would be of interest to him, and maybe in the New York Times or New York Post, which I get, I'd send it to him. It was probably too you current. That's why. Pox on him. He's not on the list anymore. He's off my mailing list. <laughs> no, I want you to know, Andy. I the mailroom since this COVID thing started, it's a little fugazi up there. It's uh, it's messed up. So. I, I went into I go into the mail room every couple of weeks. Actually, I haven't been in a while. I got to go this weekend and check right. the mail. But I go in there looking for stuff for me, 
And there, your mail is all over the place. I mean, there's more Andy Furman mail than there is for anybody. Like uh, you think of the people that work at Fox Sports, like Cowherd and Clay, and these big, you know, big people, whatever, who think you know they're important. And there's more mail from you than any for any of those people. It's crazy. You dominate the mail room, Andy Furman. That's the way it should be, really. (laughs) You know, people think that podcasts dominate and they talk about ratings on radio. There's nothing better in life than personal relationships. And the only way you can make a personal relationship is through the mail. Really, you know, obviously phone as well. Mail is a great personal relationship technique, and people don't do it because they think it's a podcast. They think it's a YouTube situation. And you know what it is? That's one way. It's one way, and it also forces the secondary person to have to tune in and find you. Whereas mail, I'm reaching out to you. And people don't understand. I'm reaching out to you. And how great does somebody feel? You know, I sometimes get uh, on on Twitter uh, every now and again, not often. Every now and again, I I had a listener from Minnesota about two weeks ago. You know, he gave me his address. Could you send me a note because he knows I write letters? I did. I reached out. I won this guy over. You don't think that guy is going to show 10 other people, hey, Andy Furman, I listened to him on Sunday on Fox. He sent me a letter. You know, that's what it is. One letter is worth perhaps 10 listeners. Andy, who's the guy that you sent? Is it who's the guy that you sent a letter to that you didn't think was going to write back? That did write back. Is it Belichick? Who's the guy that you said this guy's not going to write back? And then he did. You know, I never thought I'd hear from Belichick, and it's funny because I was sending out resumes just for the hell of it to see, you know, whatever. And I asked him if I could use him for a reference, and you know what he wrote me back? He said, "You could use me for a reference, but don't have them write. You know, don't have me write to them. Have them write to me, and I'll take care of you." That's what he said. Really? That was wonderful, wow. really. That's awesome. Was he, now, when you first connected with Belichick, was he, where was he in his career? Was he with Cleveland? Was he with the Patriots? Was he before Well, I'll that? tell you the story with Cleveland. That's, that's how we first met. It was unbelievable, okay. really. This is what happened. I was running to him in Cleveland, and I was like the anti-Bengal fan in Cincinnati, which is not difficult to do if you follow the Bengals, really. They'll give you odds, you know, watching them play. But the, he was coaching the Cleveland Browns, and for some reason, he called me, or yeah, they had to call me because there was no email back in the day, I don't think. He called me and said, I need a tape of a, of a Cincinnati Bengal game, all right? And he gave me his FedEx number to send the tape to him overnight. So I said, how in the hell am I going to get a tape of a Bengal game? So I went to Channel 19, the Fox affiliate in Cincinnati, and I told him, I said, I need a tape of a Bengal game. I don't know how I sold him on that, but I got the tape, and I got his FedEx number. I sent it overnight mail to him, and after that, it was it was beautiful. It was amazing. Can you think about that now? Guys asking for tapes like that? I know. I, it's, it's amazing how it, it, things have changed, and, and I've seen the change, and we've all seen the change. I mean, yeah. guys asking for tapes with a FedEx number, and now immediately after the game, these coaches are on the plane with their iPads watching the game again. It's, it's amazing. It really is. So you're telling me, this is a great story, Andy. So Bill Belichick is coaching the Browns, and he needed scouting on the Bengals and contacted a media guy in Cincinnati to send him right. a game tape. That's unbelievable. And I did, and I did. And, and what are we talking? We're talking about you know, that. We're talking Wise, about. May he rest in peace. We had a love hate relationship. I loved him, and he hated me. But at the end, we kind of made a kiss and made up because I used to play with him, and he used to have the rabbit ears. He really did, which is great for a talk radio host. And we had a uh, helicopter pilot who gave the traffic every day by the name of John Phillips. I love John Phillips. In the morning and the afternoon, you get in the helicopter, get the traffic. So I went on. I said to John, we're going to do this to play with Sam Weiss a little bit. I said that I was going to be in the helicopter uh, taping practice and sending it out to the opponents. 
And he went nuts. He called the station. This was like on a Wednesday or Thursday. Probably a Thursday. Maybe Wednesday or whatever it was, way back in the day. The next morning, at 9 o'clock in the morning, he was up in the general manager's face saying Andy Furman was in the helicopter taking pictures of my practice. And he threatened on the radio he's going to send them out to my opponents. So I got called. This is amazing, really. So I got called to the GM's office. I had no idea Sam was in there. I said, hey, coach, how you doing? He wouldn't talk to me. His face was burning red steam coming out of his ears and the general manager david martin says to me what's the story are you open i said first of all i'm afraid to go in a helicopter secondly i'm not going to go on with john phillips the guy's like a cowboy he's crazy he really is and thirdly i never did it and sam went crazy the theater of the mind it always works in radio the theater of the mind it was wonderful it really was Oh, that's outstanding. I just, I can't, I love this. Everyone loves the Sam Weiss rant. You don't live in Cleveland, knock it off. And all oh, that and you it. know what? He, he was a good guy. And uh, if you go on Google and you Google my name with Sam Weiss, uh, when he passed on, I wrote an op-ed piece in the Cincinnati Inquirer, which they ran. And I had no idea until that time that someone gave me this from the Cincinnati Bengals. He hated me so much. He had a play named after me. He named the play. No. I got a play sheet. Wait, 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 wait. I gave, wait, it, to wait, the, wait. I gave it to the Inquirer, but they didn't run the play. But I ran the name what of the play. What was the play? What was the play? What was the play? You know, I couldn't read it. I had no idea. I don't know. Was it, was it, a pa- it had to be a passing play, I would think, right? Probably was it so. I don't know. But uh, the, the play was named after me. And it so, was wait. So, called, this, was, uh, was this like. It was a, called F. Furman. And you could figure what that stood for. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. All right, so is this when, like, Boomer Esiason was the quarterback? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Boomer was so he, there, and so it's possible, was on the team, the, the, whole, the whole crew. So it's possible yeah. in his MVP season, uh, Boomer Esiason, uh, at the line of scrimmage, uh, was calling the play out, and it was uh, F. Furman was the Right, uh, the, right. Yeah. Now, I had the play on the sheet of paper from the Bengals, and, you know, with the plastic cover and the whole thing. I got that, and I gave it to the Inquirer. I thought they would take a picture of it when I wrote the op-ed piece, but they didn't run that, but I have the op-ed piece, so I think you could write, just Google Sam Weiss op-ed Cincinnati Inquirer. Andy, I want I want to see I want to see the play, Andy. I gotta I gotta see a copy. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll find it. I'll take a picture and I'll and I'll I'll scan it to you. That's what I'll do. Did, okay. I'll did, do the, that. did the play ever? Was it ever productive? Did it ever go for a touchdown? How's he gonna know? They never won anything. Come on, really? <laughs> I gotta be productive. Well, they still haven't won anything. You know, they got Zach Taylor now. He's three seventeen and one. You don't think I could be three seventeen and one as a coach in the NFL? <laughs> you could be three seventeen and one. No, really. Think about it. The only good thing about three seventeen and one for Zach Taylor is that he's gonna hopefully pass Dave Shula's ridiculous record. And I love Dave Shula. I really liked him when he coached here in Cincinnati. He's now back at. Dartmouth, like coaching the quarterbacks. So hopefully he could erase Dave Shula's ugly record in Cincinnati. So Zach Taylor, I hope he doesn't get fired. I hope he stays here another eight years. Are you uh, buying the hype? I guess you're not on Joe Burrow, man. This guy looks great. I feel for the guy. You know, if you look at the eyes, you'll see he's playing Indianapolis this Sunday. Look in his eyes. It's a situation that we call here in Cincinnati being bengalized. He's become (laughs) bengalized right now. It's like when the the deer in the eye look, you know, when it gets really wide, like silver dollars. That's basically what he has right now. And he's lost more games now in Cincinnati than he probably has his entire high school and college career. Really, it's amazing. The back of his jersey last Sunday was so green, you thought that he was playing for the Jets. 
because he was full of grass <laughs> He was hit 17 times and sacked five times. I feel for the guy. And here's the thing. Every once in a while, I wish I was still on local radio because the locals right now are bought and paid for. I went crazy. I was on Monday night. Some local guy in Cincinnati had me on. I said, here's the deal. Because he said, what do you think of the Bengals? I said, I'll tell you what I think. I said, they're losing 27 nothing on Sunday. Losing 27 nothing with eight minutes to go. Why in the hell is Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon still in the ballgame? The only reason they're in there is to get hurt. I mean, they're not going to win. They lost 27-3. to Why were they still in at that time? That I never understood. And no one in the media challenged Zach Taylor to that, to that item at all. Why do you have these guys in there? No, listen, I agree with you. I mean, but when you were doing, you would spice it up the local guys. And I, I experienced this, you know, and I'll do a rant on the overnight about the Astros and I'll get the local radio hack in Houston who, you know, the, the fanboy, oh, you can't criticize, you know, the Astros and all this stuff. And I, right, I've, ex- right. I've experienced this in several cities around the country where people, the local radio guy gets all upset. But right. to, to me, I, I love how you did it, you know, Andy. And there's, there's very few. You're like the, one of the last of the Mohegans. The local radio guy now is a fanboy. That's pretty much what the local radio well, guy is. And, and certainly the local radio guy, if that station carries the games, they have that contractual agreement and you don't want to upset the Apple cart. Of course, it's revenue. There's no doubt about that. But here's the thing. I, people ask me all the time, what's the difference between local and national doing local and national radio? I think national radio, to me, is easier. Why? There's more of a broad spectrum of topics you can talk talk about. Local, if I'm in Cincinnati, we never talk to NHL or NBA. We don't have a team. No one cares about it. So basically, locally, you're based on uh, NFL and the Cincinnati Reds. That's basically, and a little college, University of Cincinnati or Xavier University, and basically that's it. So you have a smaller piece of the pie to talk about so you have to be harder you have to go different layers and you can you can make a difference you could get the, the city after a coach you know if i'm if i'm on there now i say look he's 317 and one the honeymoon for zach taylor is over and if he loses five more games this year you start the petition and you have the fans meet me outside in front of the stadium with picket signs saying let's get him fired you could do that locally you can't do it nationally yeah, it's no different than hugh jackson a few years ago right in cleveland where he goes winless and and obviously still maintains his job for a short period of time right Uh, right. Andy is there because you've you've obviously worked as a sports information director you've worked local you've worked national radio is there anything that you haven't done that you you wanted to do or want to do eventually well I wanted to run for president but I think I would have been a good third party guy this year yeah you're gonna match it with Kanye right could have been done. You know, you know what? Honestly, what I wanted to do, and I wrote this in my high school graduation book, I always wanted to work for the New York Knicks. That was my goal. I really, really that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be the PR guy for the New York Knicks. Because my idol, when I grew up, I watched the Willis Reeves and the Dick Barnett's and Dave, Dave DeBush, all those guys playing. But the one guy I always had my eye on was Frank Blauschild. No one knows who he is, but Frank Blauschild was the guy who was sitting next to Red Holzman. He was the PR guy and traveling secretary of the New York Knicks. That was the job I wanted. That's pretty damn good. What about the racetrack? I mean, what about the ponies? Have you? Is there anything that ever inspired you to work there, like on the track, at the track, even on the PA there? You know what? First of all, I could never do. I could never call a race. There's no Mike Battaglia did that. He's the best in the business. He was there for us at Latonia Racecourse. But I will say this. In all the years I worked in racing, and I worked at Greyhound tracks in uh, 
in, in, in New Hampshire. I, I've been all over. I don't think I've made maybe more than $20 total in total bets. It never excited me to wager. But I always try to create the racing, be it harness racing, thoroughbred racing, or greyhound racing, into a sport and make it legit, you know, and try to get statistics involved in that. So maybe you could get on the sports pages. And also, do a very good human interest stories in the world of sport. For example, in 1981, I worked in... Uh, in Lakes Region Greyhound Park in Belmont, New Hampshire. Belmont, New Hampshire, you could take a, a bed on Highway 6 and never get hit by a car and sleep there. That, that's how many people were there. And they wanted me to bring people to this racetrack, which I did. You know, we had a good time. But that was the summer of the baseball strike, if you remember, 1981. And we had a guy who had a kennel of dogs, and he loved the New York Yankees, and he had all his kennel dog greyhounds named after Yankees. Willie Randolph and it said all of them. So when he had these guys, these dogs racing, we got the tape of the race and again this is before computers I had to go to the local bus station in Belmont New Hampshire and put the tape on a bus to Len Berman at CBS TV Channel 2 in New York to get him on a Sunday night TV show and he ran it that's what I did in New Hampshire yeah that's pretty damn impressive no, that is pretty good Andy if he stupid really but I, I did it <laughs> Hey, Furball, so if the, if the Knicks called you up and said, hey, we want you to move back to New York. I'm there. I'm there. I'd, you're there. I'd, I'd walk. I would walk there, believe me. I mean, oh, I'll tell you honestly what I'm doing right now, and, and I know this is like a dreamland, I know, but it, it could very well happen. Because I got free time on my hand. I'm working with a man in Louisville, Kentucky. He's an attorney. His name is Bruce Miller, J. Bruce Miller. Uh, J. Bruce Miller is a diehard, diehard NBA fan. He, he uh he, he represented many NBA players uh, over the years, and he almost had the Vancouver Grizzlies move to Louisville, but they ended up in Memphis. So I'm working with him trying to get investors to get an NBA team in Louisville. I think it could happen. Louisville's a tremendous basketball city. They have a great arena uh, in Louisville, and I think they could support the NBA there. More than that, and this is off the top of my head, I'm thinking this, a lot of these NBA owners – Took a bath this year. They lost a lot of money. And I won't be surprised if many of these owners would, would even go out and try to sell their franchise. So I think Louisville has a chance if we can get someone to pony up the money. And what I do all day long, you talk about letter writing. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I, I write letters to everybody and anybody. And uh, about a year or so ago, I wrote a letter to Larry King. And why did I write to him? To twofold. Number one, I knew he wanted to buy the Dodgers at one time. I watched the Dodger games. He always sits right behind home plate. Number two, he went to my high school. He went to Lafayette at high school in Brooklyn, so I got his address. I got this book of addresses. So I wrote to his address in Beverly Hills, and a couple of days later, he called me up. He started singing me the fight song for Lafayette High School, and he said he was interested. But then, you know, God, you know, I hate to say his, his son died, and he got a divorce, and uh, I kind of just left him be because I just don't think he's ready for that right now. But we've got other people, and I, I wrote to uh, Issa Rae. You know, I was watching the NBA games and she was doing promos on, uh, on on the TV. So wrote to her. I write to everybody and anybody that I think would be interested. I wrote to Charles Barkley. I wrote to to uh, Kenny the Jet Smith. You know, Shaq. So, you, you name it. Just so what's the pitch? What's the pitch? Would have a circle of people with money that would be interested in buying an NBA team. So what's the pitch though? Like when you're, hey, I've got, I need you to write a check for millions of dollars to buy no, an NBA. No, no, I just I tell my background that I'm legit. 
You know, uh, like uh, most of these, like I write to Bernard King. I said, Bernard, I watched you play high school basketball at Fort Hamilton High School in Brooklyn. I was a manager of my high school basketball team, and I was at Lafayette High School. I watched you play. I said, uh, I watched you with the Knicks. I said, I'm working with uh, Jay Bruce Miller, an attorney in Louisville. I said, we'd love to have you join our group. I said, here's my cell phone number. I could hook you up with Mr. Miller, and maybe he could fill you in on what we're doing, and we'd love to have you join us. That's all. What could you say? You know, hopefully someone will. And I think they might. I think there's a, pe- there's a lot of people out there with money who love basketball and have an ego. That's what it takes. You have to have money, love the game of basketball, and have a bit of an ego. Andy, is, is basketball your number one love? or is I it- love it. I love college and the NBA, but I love the NBA better. Interesting. So w- w- growing up in New York, obviously that's one thing, but did you transfer your allegiance to any team locally in – you know, since I don't have any NBA teams. See, I, I love the Knicks. I live and die with the Knicks. I love Red Holzman. I loved him when he coached the Knicks. I went to summer camp. I met Red Holzman there. I just loved him. I love him to death. What about for baseball, though? I mean, obviously Yankees or Mets, and then now you go to Cincinnati with the. You know, I, I tell you, and this sounds terrible. It really does. I, you know, I, I, I like the Reds, but I think the the longer. I follow sports and get involved in sports. I think the less interest I have in baseball, I think a lot of people feel the same way. Baseball, back when I was a kid, was a national sport. Baseball now is a local sport. It's a localized sport. I mean, I watch the sports cast now on, on, in Cincinnati at 11 o'clock. They don't even give the playoff scores. They don't give any highlights, any tape. Because if your team is not in it, no one cares. But the NFL, they're probably showing NFL highlights in Boise, Idaho. It's a national sport for many reasons, the gambling aspect, the fantasy football aspect. But still, I think baseball right now has become a localized sport. And unless your city is involved in the playoffs, no one cares. How does it feel, Andy, that you, you've lived in Cincinnati all these years, you're from New York, and the Knicks have become the Bengals, right? I mean, it's the same, if, if you were to say, the, you know, who's the Bengals of the NBA? It's the Knicks, right? They've been horrible for Well, I'm hoping years. Tom Thibodeau could turn them around. I'm hoping he could turn them around. I realize, now I'm hearing some rumblings that Russell Westbrook may become a Nick. And I'd love to see that. I would love to see him on the Knicks. So we'll see what happens. I don't know. But I think Thibodeau could – if anybody could turn him around, it's him. You know, and it's really sad because I hear all these fans and all these sports blaming ownership. You know, in Cincinnati, it's Mike Brown. He's the, he's the devil. He's the evil guy, the evil empire. What did he do? Mike Brown doesn't tackle. Mike Brown doesn't rush the quarterback. He has nothing to do with it. They spent a lot of money this year. The Bengals spent like $160 million on players. Maybe they spent it on the wrong players. Maybe he should have beefed up the offensive line instead of the defensive side of the ball. You know, you've got a franchise quarterback. Protect the guy. Protect him. And they didn't do that. So, Andy, I, I want to circle back to the letter writing. Uh, uh-huh. have, you, have you had success with any of the younger generation, the millennials or the Gen Z or these younger coaches? <laughs> do they write back or do they ignore you? Well, I'm trying to think who, who they might be. I mean, uh, you know, there's like, a lot of older go- guys that ignore me, too. Sean Campbell might be a yeah. younger guy at Iowa State because I knew him at the University of Toledo. He's kind of a younger guy. I, I don't... I don't I think Matt Campbell may be in early 30s or maybe late 20s. I don't know how old yeah. Matt Campbell is. Well, I'm thinking like, yeah, like uh, Sean McVay with the Rams or... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. write a lot of pro coaches. I, I really don't. Uh, Pete Carroll every once in a while, and he'll scribble a note back. You know, you know who writes me back all the time is Harbaugh. Harbaugh from Michigan. He's the best. He's great. He'll, always, he'll write me back in two, three days. Handwritten notes all the time. So, nice. Uh, I, cool. I saved a lot of these letters. As a kid, I got a couple of letters still from Adolph Rupp. 
from Kentucky, you know, and I said wow. at the time when I was in high school, I said, I wanted to attend the University of Kentucky with the basketball, and he wrote me back. I got to find that letter somewhere in my basement, I guess. He said, young man, when you come down here, look me up at my office. He signed an Adolph Rupp, the Baron. Wow, that's pretty cool. Andy, have, right. you, Andy, have you, do you frame any of your letters, the return Hell letters? No. No? That's, that's, that's egotistical. What, free for what? So someone could see it? I know. No, what, I mean, I know so what you can see it. So you, it's, it's almost like a baseball card where you put it in a seal and you make sure that it's in good condition if you ever want to. You know, I, I got it somewhere to the. It's probably yellow now. It's probably turned. I don't know if you touch it by fall apart. Look, okay, you read it once. What else are you going to do with it? Like I read books. After I read the book, I throw them away. <laughs> I'm not going to keep the book. Really. Andy, Andy I poli- throw away in college. Really. Andy, Andy, any politician, any presidents, or anybody uh, politician type people that you've written to over the years that we would know of? You know, it's funny. I usually do write the president because uh, I used to write the president. Well, I tell you what, the Queen of England, she's written me back several times. What? What? The Queen of England has responded? I'm sure it's one of the staff members, but I got from Buckingham Palace. I got uh, letters from Buckingham Palace. And what it was, at one point in time, I wanted, because my grandfather was from England. He really was from Golders Green right outside of London. And I mentioned that to, to the Queen. And I said that I'm on radio in the States and I wouldn't mind working for the BBC. And I thought that really my accent, which I never thought I had, but my New York Brooklyn twang, I thought that would go over big in the BBC in London. It really would. I wouldn't know anything about the their, their soccer matches much. I mean, the English Premier League, maybe. But I, I think that would go over big. But she wrote me back and she said that she couldn't help me, whatever. Like, you know, got to contact the station themselves. But she wrote me back. She really did. But, you know, when I used to work for the racetracks, what I used to do was send letters out to the presidents or, or the queen and, and invite them to opening night at the race. And that always used to get some good PR. I remember I once wrote to George Burns, and I said that uh, I'd give you a box of cigars if you come out to opening night. And, uh, you know, Xerox, that sent it out to the press, and they, they bite on that, and they always wrote about that. That's pretty cool. All right, we got to wrap this up, Andy. I love you, man. Sunday mornings, right? Promote your show, Andy. People can hear you on Fox Sports Radio. Sunday morning, 6 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 a.m. Pacific Time, Sirius XM, Channel 83, the iHeartRadio app, also 1360 a.m. in Cincinnati, 980 a.m. in Dayton, uh, 1260 a.m. in Indianapolis, 790 a.m. in Louisville. Look at that. Oh, yeah, 12.20 a.m. Right. in Keene, New Hampshire. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I got it. We're on a lot of stations. All right, Andy, we love you, man. Uh, thank you thank for your you. time, and we'll, we'll do this again. Thank was you. Was it okay? Honestly. It was great. It was wonderful. It was life-changing. I love it. Yeah, it's going to change my life. I hope no one is it. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to catch live editions of the Ben Maller Show weekdays at 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.